0: Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au Claire and
1: Louisa spent the greater part of each day together. At first, Claire watched Louisa with some apprehension, worried about how her lack of organizational ability would manifest itself. There was no question she struggled to engage with anything administrative. Planning, list making, scheduling, pricing all brought a vagueness to her expression, a light glaze over her eyes, a fidgeting. But that did seem to be compensated for. When she was interested, she became fast and focused. Give her a cooking utensil and a specific task, and she was impressive. She could chop with a speed that seemed to demand a competition. On their first day of work, they'd sat down and discussed the menu again. Louisa had a thousand small food ideas stored in her head and she easily pulled out the more Italian-esque ones. She suggested an Italian hand pie filled with Italian sausage and basil and ricotta. Or maybe a slow-roasted shredded beef version with olives and rosemary and a hint of orange. But what Louisa really wanted to do was a morning bun, a sweet version and a savoury one. She explained it was made from croissant dough that was rolled into a cylinder and cut and baked, giving you little pillows with spiraling hills in the middle. What sends your senses soaring is the textural thing, she said, the contrast between the outside and the inside, rich and crisp and crackly on the outside, delicate buttery folds on the inside. They're often baked with orange cinnamon sugar. It was a classic and they'd have to do that one, but she had an Italian version in mind too. A swirl of pesto made with zesty greens and a sharp-aged provolone. They'd be outrageously good, and they're comforting to sad people, I'd imagine.
0: Diane Yarwood worked in accounting and corporate advisory in London and in Sydney, and along the way, Diane also nurtured a love for cooking and catering. The Wakes is Diane Yarwood's first novel. Diane Yarwood, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you for having me. The Wakes is your first book, and first books don't always come easily. Where did yours begin?
1: You're right, They Don't Come Easily. Um, It's actually my second book. My first book sits in a drawer in my bedside table, uh, which I didn't think I could ever do. That was my attempt to teach myself how to write a novel. And it became apparent when I was in the beginning of trying to uh, send it out to agents that I had, well, I was told I had three books in one. So I tried to do everything I had in my head in uh, one book So I pulled out uh, the actual funeral catering story and that became the book, The Wakes. So it's come from a lot of places in me and my experiences and things I wanted to say. Uh, So it became a real labour of love for me.
0: And there's a sort of personal experience bound up in the genesis of this book too, isn't there?
1: Yes, well... When I was 40, I nearly died. I came within a day or within hours possibly of dying from a rare autoimmune disease uh, called Addison's disease. It's it's actually the disease they uh, think killed Jane Austen, which um, from a literary point of view gives me a fair bit of um, comfort. I was like, I like that attachment.
0: In good company.
1: Yes, and exactly the same age. She died, She got it when she was 40. Um I was sick for about a year and it's a disease that attacks your adrenal glands, which give you energy. And uh, so I basically became mentally and physically fatigued, like the life was draining out of me over a period of time. And then I went into a crisis, which is what ultimately kills you. When I was finally diagnosed in emergency, uh, the, the weekend prior to that, I had, I had complete knowledge I was dying and I was. Um, I'd lost the energy to live um the energy to exist and even though I had children I loved I mentally I was very fatigued but I did want to I sort of did want to die because I was just so sick and uh I rang my GP on the Monday morning and said I will die today is there anything left to do because we've gone through a lot of doctors and it's because it's so rare when I was finally diagnosed in emergency by a doctor who'd seen it once before so I was incredibly lucky and the treatment was an injection of steroid, which is what I couldn't produce anymore. So I went, it was an immediate cure, which is a rare thing in itself. You know, most chronic diseases take a while to, you, so I went from sort of death to life reasonably quickly and from feeling sick enough to know I was dying to feeling almost completely well. And it was an amazing experience. It's never left me it changed my whole way of looking at life and i'd wanted to write a novel when i was in my teens and it, it got lost that dream it got lost in uh, you know a practical career having children and suddenly it sort of was like i i knew that if and i didn't trust my body now i thought something else would happen i i knew i could die i knew i was mortal i thought that will be my huge regret that's the the regret that will sit on my shoulders that i never gave that a go. I didn't have the courage. So that's when I started thinking, I need to start that novel. But it did take quite a while. <laughs> that's it. But I never let go of that thing. I have to do this. I have to find time for this, even though it took me a long time to give it priority. So that that was the genesis of it. And it was also the genesis of the essential theme of The Wakes. So I, I, what I wanted to was, was to express the feeling that was inside me that that death had given me, really. I wanted the reader to finish the book. Uh, feeling life's
0: preciousness. It certainly does. Let's get back to Jane Austen for a second. Uh, Like Jane Austen, your book is all about people. And two of the most important people in this book are Claire and Louisa. Claire and Louisa are almost polar opposites. Claire, the highly organised one. Louisa, the creative one. How do they end up working together?
1: Firstly, I love the way you called them polar opposites um, because there are a lot of opposites in the book and how we learn a lot about something from from an opposite, opposite, like life from death. But anyway, um, Claire and Louise are, you know, two of the main characters who are quite different. It's sort of an unlikely friendship. Uh, Friendship is a a really core thing in the book um, that I wanted to explore, the the beauty of friendship, the importance of it, um, the strength it can give you. And their friendship comes along when they both sort of need it and they're different, but you can see even in their conversation why they're, they're sort of going to get along. It's that feeling that when you meet someone that 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 you are going to connect with, it's almost like a falling in love, in, in a way, with a, with, a, with a friend that could possibly be a friend for life. So the, the book sort of explores the rarity uh, and the importance of those sorts of really, really valuable friendships and how they're worth treasuring.
0: So there's a personal, a strong personal relationship developing there, but there's also a professional one.
1: Yes, that's right. Louisa ends up sort of reaching out to Claire because Louisa is very creative with food. She's got a bit of a History with food. Uh, Claire's very organised. She's a very detailed person, very focused person, and which is Louisa really does struggle in that in that regard. Um, but uh, so they start a funeral catering business together, which is a a very niche business. Um, it's something I nearly did myself. What appealed to them was this idea that funeral catering was midweek during the day, uh, low expectations, and it also allowed a lot of humour.
0: Let's not forget the men in the story. Paul and Chris.
1: Chris is an emergency doctor. He's on the brink of um, possibly the collapse of his marriage at the outset. He's someone who's been very successful in life. Uh, He's very self-assured. But when we meet him, he's in his mid-40s and things aren't going quite to plan. He and his wife are having trouble having children. They've had seven IVF attempts. But as we see it from Chris's point of view, we, we do go into his head, we see it from his point of view, it's also for him about his mortality, who will remember him when he's gone? So there's an element of ego there. So I'm exploring that how that ego imp- impacts on how he's seeing the child, how, how he's accepting it, and uh, as opposed to his wife, who's, who's able to move on a bit more than he is. So that that's something Chris is struggling with. Uh, he's a doctor who, because he's in emergency, it's his job to preserve life. Paul comes in, he's an uh, old school friend of Chris's and their friendship is a friendship that's been clouded by some jealousy, some envy. Some, it's, it's a complex friendship. Uh, Chris sees a lot of value in it, but Paul has struggled and uh, their clash in the funerals creates quite a bit of the tension. We, we, we know there's something brewing between them. There's a character we're introduced to at the beginning of the novel. Um, I do like a bit of a mystery and I'm a bit of a fan of Agatha Christie. And so we're introduced to Beth right at the beginning of the book. She, she's died alone at home and we're, we know it's in unusual circumstances and that unfolds uh, the idea of what could have happened to her unfolds. She's She's been known to Chris and Paul in their past.
0: Let's get back to Funerals and Wakes. There are funerals and then there are wakes, endings, and wakes are kind of beginnings. Does death give way to life in the wakes?
1: Very much so. And even from the beginning, the epigraph I've used is a Virginia Woolf quote from her journals, which says, um, I meant to write about death, only life kept breaking in as usual. And when I sat down to write, I I, I did seem to want to write about death. It was something that I, my mother died in my final year of school. I, I was very much affected by that and my own near death. But awake is a celebration of life. They do tend to be um, where family and friends come together, where the life is celebrated. They're quite joyous, and even the funeral itself is a reflection on a life.
0: Wakes aren't your traditional dating scene, but your book just made me wonder how many relationships have begun at a wake.
1: Well, I'm not speaking from any experience there, but but it came to me that it's a time when you you're emotionally open really uh life's been brought back to its essentials in a way family love friendships they they just sort of all come to the fore as being so vital but to me it's a time when you're just full of warmth and appreciation sadness as well I think that's where the dating comes in it's it's that openness of your emotions uh and the seizing life seize the day
0: awake is also famous for two other things alcohol was one of them
1: yes yes people are a little bit loosened up <laughs>
0: The other one is food. And in a conversation uh, between Paul and Claire, Paul tells Claire, your food has just the right tone for a wake. When it comes to catering, what's the right tone?
1: Well, I did have these discussions with a couple of friends when we did consider doing, we got very close to have, to being funeral caterers. Lizanne um, and I was going through a very obsessive stage with food and a friend had met a funeral caterer. And we had that whole discussion of wow great conditions for catering you know and um we did discuss the fact that you (laughs) there are certain parameters uh you don't want anything too spicy you you really don't want anything um that's hard to hold uh you want something that's comforting and nourishing so it has to sort of fit in with the emotions of the wake not too edgy but um, like a warm embrace i think paul says that about the morning buns or that or no Chris that it made him feel expansive this textural thing uh, warmth of the morning bun so
0: they say when life gives you lemons you should make lemonade but in your case it's make lemon tarts
1: yes yes Um, the lemon tarts just sort of appeared organically when I was writing them we we, we're huge fans of the lemon dessert in my family um, and I think it's also I loved the way there's a textural thing the the creaminess of the um curd and the um the 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 base but it's also that sort of like zing that that just the right tang in a lemon tart that's sort of a little bit like that what i'm sort of saying about life
0: there's a lot of metaphors here i mean lemons as a metaphor for life sour and yet capable of the most delectable things one could imagine your lemon tart is one example but as we as we heard the morning bun crisp on the outside but Delicate and buttery on the inside. Yes, is that us? Yes, that's right.
1: It—that's the thing. I think it is us. There are a lot of—I do have used a lot of metaphors in it, and particularly that one about texture and contrast. Um, been asked a lot why I have such a thing about frittatas uh, in the beginning mean, you know, the girls have a real issue with frittatas, and people, I think there's a frittata support society sort of forming about this. and and I even got someone sent me a picture of um King Charles, they're even doing a the coronation quiche for that. but the quiche is okay as far as I'm concerned, because you've got that contrast of the of the crust and the the frittata to me lacks the contrast. It's just
0: it doesn't have the right tone.
1: That's right, it doesn't have the right tone. That is going on quite a deep level. To say, look, look, even with food, the the contrast is what makes it so great. A lot of great chefs. A lot of it is texture, and um, and that's that is definitely a uh point the book is trying to make.
0: Yeah, uh, the texture of life, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And which which was wait, it can't all be good. It can't all that's yeah. Life death makes life important. Um, it gives our choices meaning because. It will end so that's the that's a textual thing too really
0: you had my mouth watering quite often as i read this book tartlets with goats curd and strawberries just yes. imagine what that was like but what's <laughs> what's in that remarkable chicken sandwich that so moves chris if you're
1: trying to get the recipe out of me you're not yes <laughs> it's becoming bigger than itself so i it does exist it is a chicken sandwich that's been in our family for a long time my son's even taken it a garden party in Buckingham Palace um I was asked by the publishers to print it um and I said no
0: a family secret
1: it's not a family secret as such like I'm not someone to my friends I've got quite a few that know it I am not one to hang on to a recipe I don't I've never done that but with this because of the book I am because I think it would spoil it a bit if you knew what if you knew what was in it that Chris is trying to work Work out, and and I, I want to keep its sort little of mystery there for the moment. Um, but it does exist, yes.
0: We all know food, especially good food, can make us feel good. But can it? Can food change lives as well?
1: Um, yes, I think it can. I think I think we. It's an amazing thing. I was asked about um, how it came about in the book. I think I think it just happened because I just love food so much, and and also the funeral catering. But I reflected on the fact that when my mother died. Uh, my father was a diabetic, and I've got three brothers and sisters. There are four of us. We we very much a meat and three veg family, and simple but good meals. Didn't have pasta or anything too fancy. And then when my mother died when I was seventeen, my older sister, she's eighteen months older than me, were extremely close. She took over the family cooking, and she wasn't going to cook the meat and three veg. So. Out came this Woman's Weekly box, little long box of recipe cards. I don't know whether you've ever come <laughs> across them.
0: It's a bit old school, but I know what you mean.
1: Yes, and I would see her flicking through this little box of cards and my heart would just lift. And so in the middle of all this, we, we adored my mother. She was the love of our lives and we were quite traumatised by her death. But in the middle of all that terrible grief, every night we'd have this thing to look forward to, this amazing meal this we were, we were being dished up every night my sister is an incredible cook and now when I think about it that was probably just in my subconscious what food had done for me when I was young um that it was such solace it was the, it was the one small amount of joy we had in days that were quite bleak and so that probably underlay. it was underlying a lot of what I was writing without me being really conscious that that's what I that's where I was um going I started writing about death, the fact that we don't have death in our lives as much as was once the case and what is that doing to our lives, the fact that we don't talk about it easily even though it's the one thing we're all going to do. So that's what I sort of sat down to write about, but life just crept in and, and so did all those elements that I love about life, the friendship, the love, the food, the music, Um, the music crept in, beautiful music. The book almost did it itself. The story did it itself. As I wrote about death, it just seemed to start highlighting all these uh, wonderful things about life.
0: Diane Yarwood, thanks so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Greg. It's been a pleasure.
0: I've been talking to Diane Yarwood about her new book, The Wakes. It's published by Hachette, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.